Coming up on this, our Christmas Eve edition of Abounding Grace. You know, the story of Jesus, his birth, is not a rags to riches story. It's a riches to rags story. Jesus went from the top to the bottom, not the other way around. Jesus left heaven to come to this earth. He went from being sovereign to a savior, from glory of heaven to a stable prepared for animals. This is amazing grace. Merry Christmas to you and yours. It's a real delight to share a portion of this Christmas Eve with you. And we've got a special message to share from Pastor Ed Taylor that's based in Luke 2. Well, like many, you're super busy in these final hours leading up to Christmas. You're prepping for a big Christmas dinner or doing some last minute shopping. But if we're not careful, we might be making the same mistake as the innkeeper that first Christmas, kind of pushing Jesus aside, saying in effect, there's no room for Jesus. Let's carefully consider how we're using our time and living our lives, not only at Christmas, but year-round. Here's Pastor Ed with good news. Jesus has arrived. You take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 2. It seems as if the world's attention is on Jesus around this time. Of course, we as believers are celebrating, we're excited, we're happy. But even those that don't believe in Jesus Christ have the name Jesus on their lips as they're trying to do great damage. You know, the atheists always come out around the holidays and those that are skeptics. And, and even though they're trying to tear down such a glorious day, the name of Jesus is even on their lips. And we never give up hope for the skeptic or the critic, because God can save anyone. And we're reminded not only is Jesus, was Jesus born, but he lived a life, and he died a horrific death, and yes, he rose again from the dead, and he is alive today, and we gather together to worship him in love and full adoration, because Jesus has been so good to us. Is that a true statement for you? He's been so faithful, and more and more in my life, I'm coming to appreciate what Paul wrote to young Timothy when he told Timothy, hey, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. And it's a great time just to look back and see how faithful Jesus has and continues to be in our lives. He loves us. He gave himself for us. And even the Bible tells us that he forever intercedes and prays for us as believers in the presence of the Father. So it's good to celebrate, and it's good to be excited about the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, I read recently about a story of a couple that was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, and what a day that is. The wife, well, she was a little hard of hearing, and the husband, he wasn't really known for being openly affectionate, but here it is, 50 years of marriage, he stands up and says to his precious wife, my dear wife, after 50 years, I love you very much and have found you to be tried and true. And she said, what? 
So he repeated himself, after 50 years, I love you very much and have found you to be tried and true. And so she shot back real quick, well, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> you know, this can be true of a lot of things, can it? We get tired of things that we're familiar with. It's easy to be tired of things that are continuous and repetitious. You know, we can even get tired of Christmas and all that it's become and all that it is. We hear a story over and over again. It becomes so familiar to us that it begins to lose its special meaning. That's why we can't let Christmas slip through our hands to the prevailing political correctness or to the cultural consumerism or to even the in-house Christian fighting over what day it happened and what it celebrates. Listen, this day commemorates the greatest gift of all time, the birth of Jesus Christ, salvation entering into the world. And as we turn again to Luke chapter 2, we try to put ourselves back to Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago and imagine the impact of the message. Prior to the arrival of Jesus Christ, there had been 400 years of silence from heaven. Up to that point, there had been so much going on from Genesis all the way through to the end of Malachi. Angels and prophets and messages from God. Then there was a 400-year icy silence, which was broken by the angels coming to announce the birth. First of John the Baptist and then later of Jesus himself. This was a significant event that changed world history and all of humanity forever. Notice with me in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Verse 7. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, verse 19, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Now, the author of this particular book of the Bible is a man we know as Luke. We know him as a doctor, Dr. Luke. Luke was not one of the hand-picked disciples of the Lord. He was not an eyewitness of the life and ministry of Jesus. In fact, Luke wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile. He comes along later and was hired by a man by the name of Theophilus to put together an account of the life and times of Jesus Christ. Actually, in the Bible, there are two books that Luke wrote. He wrote this gospel known as Luke by his name, and he also wrote the book of Acts. Now, if anyone ever asks you who wrote the Bible, the answer is, is that God wrote the Bible. God alone is the author. And yet he chose to use human beings, inspiring them by the Holy Spirit, to assure what they wrote down was what he wanted reserved and communicated to you and to me. And so Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things down so that when we would read them, I mean, for here, when we would read them, we'd be inspired by the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, Luke is very specific here in pointing out these certain facts so that we'll recognize that the birth of Jesus Christ is a historical truth, that this actually happened. Notice in verse 1, he mentions a man by the name of Caesar Augustus, and in verse 2, he mentions that Quirinius was governing Syria. He wants us to know that this was a real event, not a fairy tale, not a fable. Sometimes as we read it, we can almost think, well, maybe people are saying it's so much, so much that it's untrue, and it'd be very easy for you to open up the Bible and say, oh, well, you know, this was a nice little holy book, and, and you know, there's not much truth to it, and it makes some people feel good. But that's not the Bible. The Bible is the living word of God. Of its own claim, it is full of life, a living and powerful, sharper than a sword that's sharp on both sides. And Luke wants you to know that this event happened in history while a guy was ruling as Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus was the first man to think of himself and as a god, little g, and demand worship from the Roman Empire. They actually found an inscription in archaeology that described him as, I quote, savior of the whole world. And that's how he viewed himself. So much so that every year he would demand the subjects of the Roman Empire to go to wherever they set up a statue of himself and take a pinch of incense and spread it on the head of the statue and worship and declare their loyalty to Caesar Augustus, which made it very, very difficult for Christians in the first century because they couldn't do that. Many believers in the first century lost their lives because they refused to bow the knee to Caesar Augustus because they worshiped one Lord and there was only one Savior. There's only one way to the Father and that's through Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, this conflict really leads to notice what Luke describes in verse 11, where this conflict of not bowing down to Caesar and not saying he's Lord, 
in verse 11, the declaration, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus alone is the Savior. And that's the message that the shepherds would take, the message they received from the angels. That's the, shep that's the message they would continue to share, declaring that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. He is the true Savior. Not wrapped in satin robes, but in swaddling cloths, or literally rags. You know, the story of Jesus, his birth, is not a rags-to-riches story. It's a riches-to-rags story. Jesus went from the top to the bottom, not the other way around. Jesus left heaven to come to this earth. He went from being sovereign to a savior, from glory of heaven to a stable prepared for animals. Here's how the Bible describes it in another place, according to Philippians chapter 2. In verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as Christ. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that's above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus, the ultimate king, the king of kings, left the glory of heaven to come and live in a humble earthly surroundings. He literally gave up everything for us. And God chose this particular moment in history to bring forth a savior. It was a strategic moment. Or what we like to refer to, it was a prophetic moment. It was the fulfillment of prophecy on, in more than one. Now, we use the word when we're studying the Bible, prophecy. You might refer to prophecy more in everyday language as predictions. It's one of the things, I would say it is the thing that supplies the greatest evidence that the Bible is a true document. Because God goes on record hundreds and sometimes even thousands of years predicting something with specific accuracy and all of the predictions thus far that have been fulfilled have been fulfilled 100% accurate. God doesn't put a prophecy in the Bible and say, well, maybe one day a baby will be born somewhere and that baby will then be the savior of the world. But he predicts it very precisely so that this day is declared by the angel as the strategic prophetic fulfillment of the promise of the Savior. That the promises of God will come to pass. And all of the prophecies that we are still yet waiting to see fulfilled will be fulfilled with perfect accuracy. The birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem was no accident. It was not merely the result of a king that wanted taxes, but rather it was the sovereign will of God. It was God's appointment, or what we often refer to as a divine appointment. Might I just add that those of you that are here today for the first time, maybe you're here because you were invited, or you're here with family, or those of you that might be turned on the radio and you're just flipping through and then you stopped at a, a, an interesting voice with interesting words, this too is a divine appointment. This is God's appointment to remind you or tell you for the very first time with perfect clarity that he loves you. 
And he proved that love by sending his son Jesus Christ to live for you, to die for you, and that he has risen again from the dead and is alive right now. That if you've ever considered and wondered if God, as you know him, cares about you, whether he maybe even doubt his existence, God made it very crystal clear to look to one place to be reminded of his love for you, and that's the cross of Calvary. Because this baby that was born fulfilling prophecy, well, he was born to die, and he lived a life and was crucified. One of the worst ways, at least at the time, it was the worst way for a person to die. It was so bad. It was so bad to die on a cross that the Roman government did not crucify its own citizens. You see, this was a divine appointment, this birth. In another place, the Bible puts it this way in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions as sons. And so picture in your mind Mary and Joseph coming into Bethlehem. She's obviously very ready to give birth. And as they come in, we read in verse 7 that there was no room for them in the inn. And we often refer to a person that we believe was there known as the innkeeper. And wouldn't you know it, people like to argue, this is a big deal for them. Because they'll come and say, I don't know why you mentioned the innkeeper, because nowhere in the Bible is there ever the mention of an innkeeper. And that I would give you, but I would suggest this to you. Wherever there's an inn, there's an innkeeper. And so I think he was there. And I think we have a lot to learn about the Savior of the world having no room made for him at this particular inn. Now you have to understand, this demand to go back home to be taxed and to be counted was a big deal. So the city is teeming with people. There's an overflow of people that are come, and yet we read that there was no room for Mary, no room for Joseph, no room for the baby, no room in this particular inn. We think, how could their heart be so cold? And you know, in many ways, this innkeeper is a lot like people today. It's not so much that he was evil, I don't believe. It was just, he was busy, preoccupied. Isn't that the case around the holidays? Busyness and preoccupation and just being all over the place. I think this guy was interested in making money. I mean, this is an influx of people that isn't normal, isn't regular. And I think that's what's going on with many of the merchants today getting ready for all the people out shopping. And, you know, they go through the whole year in the red. And, and then that, man, Christmas gets them back into the black. And it's a very important time for merchants today, for shops, for stores, to make those last-minute sales. You know, the innkeeper was busy. A lot of people were in town. A lot of money was to be made. He didn't want to waste his time, I don't believe, with this young couple that obviously were poor and had nothing. I'm sure if they pulled out a bag of shekels, you know, or they pulled out a bag of bills and said, hey, we need a room. Oh, let me make sure that I'll yeah, get you what you need right away. But they were poor. They had nothing. Marry a very young girl. I think another problem with the innkeeper was that he didn't have time. He was busy. I think there are a lot like him today. I mean, you might even voice this. If not voice it, you think it. I don't have time for God. 
I don't have time for church. I don't have time to teach my kids the Bible or to have family devotions. I'm so busy. You might even use that phrase. I'm so busy. It's not true. You're not as busy as you think. Because notice, in this in your life, I see it in my life, you will always make time and you will always find time for what you deem important in your life. You always find time. If it's important to you, you're going to make it happen. If you want to do it, you'll do it. If you don't want to do it, there's always a convenient reason why you haven't. Sometimes that's just being busy. Oh, it's not that our lives aren't filled. The question is, what are our lives filled with? You know, there's a lot of differences in this room today. A lot of age difference. There's different ethnicities here. We live in different places. We have all sorts of differences. Economic, drive different cars, take the bus, whatever it might be. There's a lot of differences, but there's also something that we all are the same. While there might be many differences, there's some, something that we all share in common exactly 100%, and that's this. We all have the same amount of time. There isn't anyone here that has more time and there's not anyone here that has less time. We all have the same amount of time. And what's different with our time is how we choose to use it. And you know, we come up on a new year and we have to ask ourselves, looking back on our previous year, do we use our time wisely? You know, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Well, what was done for the Lord this previous year? What changes need to be made? You know, a lot of people think they don't have time for God, but you make time for what really matters. And what really matters in your life? For this innkeeper, it didn't matter to take care of this man and his pregnant wife. It didn't matter. So you just go back and sleep with the animals, essentially. You know, the scene of the birth of Jesus Christ has been so romanticized with the nativity scene. I'm sure you've got, many of you have got nativity scenes. They're, they come in all shapes and sizes. You know, it's skewed the reality. It's actually put together a couple different Bible stories that happen at different times. The familiar scene is there's Mary and Joseph, one on each side of Jesus. And you say, well, who's Jesus? Well, the baby, the one with the halo, you know, the one that's glowing in the middle. That's Jesus. And then the animals are all there, different sizes and shapes, but they're there kind of reverently looking on. They're all kind of taken aback by the glowing Jesus, and, and they're all kind and nice and calm and quiet. And then, of course, then the stars coming through the window. Some nativity have the wise men coming at this time. Then there's the camels, and oh, it was such a great time, all the animals behaving. It's a beautiful thing, but that's not how it was. <laughs> He was in a, they were in a cave-like place with dirty, stinky animals that weren't necessarily under control. Where did they lay him? We use the English word manger, but it was actually a feeding trough where it would be disgustingly dirty and unclean and unkempt. The animals would do what animals do, make noises and make other things that stink really bad in that it, it wasn't as clean and beautiful and antiseptic as you might think. Imagine God the Son starting in such humble beginnings. 
Jesus came to save sinners and provide a way for us to be forgiven. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Today on Abounding Grace, we listen to a message from Pastor Ed Taylor called, Good News, Jesus Has Arrived. As we get ready for Christmas to arrive, this is good news indeed. And we hope it's at the center of your celebration. You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play to download that for free today. I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. We made it possible to donate online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. We're talking about good tidings of great joy tomorrow on Abounding Grace. Celebrate Christmas with us and Merry Christmas. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora. 